Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. On this podcast, we'll talk about things like purpose, legacy, love, influence, sex, success, wealth, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review if you've enjoyed what you heard, subscribe, and join the other thousands and thousands of changemakers in our community on Facebook, or go to www.mantalks.com for more blog posts, podcasts, and videos from our live event. Joining me today is a very special guest that I wasn't even too sure that I would be able to get on the podcast. I've been following her work for a while. I know a lot of people that have been following her work. And joining me today is Gabrielle Bernstein, or you might know her as Gabby Bernstein. She's the number one New York Times bestseller and author of The Universe Has Your Back and has written five additional bestselling books. She was featured on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. So I almost said Saturday, but Super Soul Sunday as the next generation thought leader. And the New York Times named her a new role model. She appears regularly as an expert on the show, The Dr. Oz Show, uh, and co-hosted the Guinness World Record Largest Guided Meditation with Deepak Chopra. So she's done some absolutely uh, incredible, incredible work. You may know her from Spiritual Junkie. Uh, she's got a, you know a book out, a masterclass. She's got apparel. This woman has really done some impressive, impressive work. Uh, in the business world, in the spiritual world. And she's really built an, an incredible, not just an incredible following, um, but one of the reasons why I really respect her is that she's built an incredible business. And she's really done an, an amazing job at, at creating not only her own personal brand, uh, but being able to build a brand that is recognizable outside of just herself, uh, which is really, really amazing. And so I wanted to have her on the show because recently she released a new book that's called the judgment detox or just judgment detox. And so we're going to talk quite a bit about judgment, how it shows up, why it shows up, how it stops us in our life, uh, what the impact is in our, in our life. And then she's going to walk us through her six steps that she actually unpacks in the judgment detox book on how to not only observe, witness, work through and learn from our own judgment, but how to actually come out the other side stronger and more balanced and stable. And I felt like this was a really incredible insight, both for the male and female leaders, uh, listeners that are out there uh, for all of you, um, whether you follow Gabby or not, uh, whether you've heard of her or not, um, because this is something that we all deal with. And judgment is a very real thing that I've seen a lot of men and women struggle with, whether it's in their relationship, you know, we can have a judgment of somebody else. And, you know, especially our partners can be very challenging in that space. Uh, and within our businesses, judgment can be one of those things, uh, whether it's your boss that you're judging or your coworkers, or uh, maybe it's one of your employees. And this judgment can be something that really stops us in our life and prevents us from actually moving forward powerfully. And so the system that she has, I love, I appreciate because as I say in the episode, it's a, it's a simple laid out step-by-step -step plan, six-step plan that I love, you know, my, my man brain can really latch on to that and, and it's very clear steps. 
but also just gives some really great insight into not only impact of judgment, but how we can learn from it. So before I dive in and bring her on, I just want to remind all the guys to head on over to Facebook, join the Man Talks community. We've got a few thousand men that are on there. Uh, we've got some great conversations. So I encourage you to go check that out. Uh, and don't forget to man it forward. Share this podcast episode with somebody. Maybe you want to share it with your partner. Maybe you want to share it with, with somebody at work, uh, somebody that's, you know, could definitely use this. Uh, but man it forward, share the podcast, and don't forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and subscribe and leave us a review. It goes such a long way to getting our podcast into the ears and onto the phones of other people. So thank you so, so much for everybody that has been sharing the podcast. It is such an honor. I love when you tag me in it on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, thank you so much. I, I just cannot express that enough. So with that being said, drum roll. I don't have a drum here, but drum roll. Uh, please welcome Gabby Bernstein. So happy to be with you. So psyched to be here. Yeah, today is, is it's an awesome day to have you. I, it's interesting. I put it up on Instagram that I was going to be interviewing you. And I had so many people, re, you know, DM me being like, oh my gosh, I love her. I listened to her meditations and they've gotten me through some hard times. And so it was really, really incredible to see the impact that you've had on people's lives. So I'm excited to have you here. I'm so happy to hear that. That's awesome. So I always start off with the same question, which leads to some some incredible stories. So tell us uh, a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are. For me, the one of the defining moments. There's 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 many, but one of the defining moments was in October of 2005 when I hit a a big bottom. It was a a quarter life crisis. I was 25 years old, and I was living in a very fast paced New York city nightlife scene. I, at the time owned a PR business that represented nightclubs. So just, you know, do the math, but put that together. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was a, that was a, a, a scene, a world, a, a, a perception of myself that, was based on the outside. It was really based on my credentials and my access to the nightclubs and how many clients I had. And the fact that it said business on my president on my business card and that I could get past the velvet ropes and just a real ego driven way of living. And I fell into that path because like many of us, we find ways of anesthetizing our deep rooted wounds and our feelings of discomfort and inadequacy. And so for me in my twenties, it was, let me see how hard I can push and how much I can achieve and how much I can achieve socially and successfully and in my relationships to not have to feel what's going on inside. And that outside search for my safety and security and self-worth ultimately wound up going beyond work addiction and love addiction and wound up in the form of drug addiction. So here I was 25 years old, completely addicted to drugs, addicted to the party scene, addicted to the outside search for happiness. And I was in this state at 25 years old, realizing that there was two paths I could take. I could continue on the path that I was on and probably lose everything and potentially die. Or I could choose again, I could completely change my perception. And at the time, even though I was going through such a dark period, I still had a strong spiritual foundation because as a child, I was brought up in a, a spiritual home. My mother brought me to ashrams and it taught me to meditate. 
and gave me a mantra when I was young. So I had spiritual principles ingrained in me. And so I knew that there was a better way. And even when I'd be hosting after hours parties in my studio apartment, I had like these stack of self-help books next to my bed. And I would point at the self-help books and tell people like, I'm going to be a motivational speaker and a self-help book author. Like there was something in me that knew that I was being called to do something else and be a better person. And these after hours parties, people would just laugh at me. (laughs) But ultimately I knew in my heart that there was something more. And by the act of grace, I found my bottom at, at, on October 2nd of 2005 on the floor of my studio apartment, strung out on the drugs from the night before, looking at this, looking at this journal that I was writing and telling all the terrible stories of how I felt. And in that moment, I said, I need a miracle. And I heard a response, an inner response. And sometimes people could refer to this as their intuition or an inner knowing or an inner guidance system. And I heard this inner voice say to me, get clean and you will live a life beyond your wildest dreams. And I heard that so loud and clear that that was the day that I chose to get sober. And not only the day that I chose to get clean and sober, but the day that I chose to commit to a spiritual path. And that was 12 years ago. And I've been on a very dedicated, devoted spiritual path since. Not only has that spiritual foundation become the most important part of my personal life, but it's also become my mission, which is to authentically teach people how to find and establish a spiritual connection of their own understanding so that they don't have to hit that type of bottom. Mm, yeah, that's that's powerful. And it's interesting, you know, because I mean, I think a lot of people have these stories that like really shape and define them, but maybe they don't take the time to really let the lessons sink in and, and let them shape them and, and mold them. And it sounds like in your journey, there was a certain amount of surrendering that happened in that space. And I'm curious, as someone who, you know, sounded like she was definitely this kick-ass businesswoman before that, who was very driven, very motivated, and sounded like, you know, a little a little goal-oriented, how did you surrender in into that space? Like, what was, what was that process like? Because I think that that's important. And I see a lot of people who are a types that are extremely driven and motivated. They're trying to force all these things, including meditation and spirituality. It's like, well, if I just force myself to sit down every morning for 10 minutes at 6am and and meditate, um, then that's meditation. And so it sounds like surrendering was important to you. How did you allow that into your, into your life? Well, surrender is the operative word. Surrender is what is required if we're going to create any type of change in our life. For me, the way that I was able to allow that moment to be such a pinnacle turning point was because I surrendered. And I surrendered to the unknown. I surrendered to a power greater than myself, a higher power of my own understanding. And for me, I don't like when um, people necessarily get hung up about the semantics of what that means, but surrendered to an inner wisdom, surrendered to the voice of my intuition that was saying to get clean. Mm. And when we have the moment of surrender, really, I often say, when you think you've surrendered, surrender more. (laughs) 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 So it doesn't stop there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree completely. And, and so after that, I mean, you've done some absolutely incredible things along the path and, you know, which I mentioned in, in your intro and it's, been really incredible over the past couple of years to watch your journey up until, you know, now and, and this, you know, new, new piece that you've created called the judgment detox. And it's something that I definitely want to dive into in depth because I feel like, you know, judgment is, is often this 
stopgap. It's often this thing that that is is really um, preventing people from leaning into the work that they want to do or or having the happiness that they want to have in their life. And I definitely want to get to that, but I I'm curious um, in in the before we dive into that about your take on on thought leaders um, because I've seen you be called that from so many different people in New York Times and Oprah Winfrey and we seem to over the last few years have this huge surge of of people that are leading the charge like you and I'm curious as to why you feel that's happening in the last couple of years well I think that there's a great a great quote from uh, the Kundalini master Yogi Bhajan who said you are the guru and really embracing that on an individual level, we all have that guru, that teacher within us. And I think we all need to really rise up as thought leaders. I don't think that that title should be held for a small few. This is a time when all of our voices must be heard. This is a time when we all have a platform. This is a time when when it is, it's, we can't rely on one person to, to lead us. Uh, even during the election, when I, right on the day after the election, I, I think I said to people on a lot of, a lot of news anchors were saying like, come on and talk about the spiritual response to the election. And I just said, listen, you know, for the people that are happy with these results, great. And for the people that are not, if you don't like your leader, you have to learn how to lead from within. And so that's why I think this is a time when we have a, the capacity to, take on that leadership role and have our belief systems have a platform to be heard. So I'm honored to be called a thought leader, but I think that we all should be really claiming that, that title. Mm, I love that. That's such, that's such a powerful approach. And it seems like that's in alignment with a lot of the work that you do. And a lot of the content that you create is really around empowering people to step into that space. And is that, is that part of why you created this book? Oh yeah, I, I think a huge part of my work uh, has shifted over the last five years or so. About five years ago, I did I did a Kundalini yoga meditation teacher training, and this Yogi Bhajan, who I just referenced, I was watching one of his videos, and he said, "I'm not here to create disciples. I'm here to create teachers." And when I heard that, that turned everything around for me. That that really redirected my mission. It, it was really clear to me that this was a time to create teachers to to teach, to teach people how to teach and to help people recognize that it's imperative that we heal our own psyche so that we can help others do the same. Mm. That's a, a big message throughout the new book, Judgment Detox, because we are living in a time when judgment is such a pervasive issue. And I believe it's the root cause of racism and terrorism and the divisive times that we are living in that we are required to heal those judgmental patterns on a personal level. And when we heal those patterns and belief systems and behaviors on a personal level, it will begin to have a ripple effect. Mm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's interesting because we seem to have entered into this space and time where people's opinions are more valid or more powerful than the facts that are being presented out, out in the world. And it would seem that you know, because these opinions are so powerful, that judgments actually play a huge role in in solidifying those opinions. Have you have you seen that in some of the work that you're doing that that, you know, these judgments are oftentimes the things that are blocking people? Yeah, I think that judgment is the number one reason we feel blocked from people and from from a deeper connection to others. It's uh, the number one reason we feel blocked professionally, creatively, in, in our success, financially, because 
you know, I see it. It's like judgment's really low vibe, right? Mm-hmm. So when just, just even the other day, it was just like, I, ca- I got caught in a friend's judgment about something and I mean, let me not blame her, but I started to get really into my own stuff too, because I was just in my humanness, uh, actually in my addiction, because judgment is an addiction. I talk about how judgment is an addictive pattern. I didn't want to feel the feelings of inadequacy that came up in something that she shared with me. So I judged instead and I got hooked into a collective judgment. I walked away from that feeling weak, feeling tired, feeling bad about myself, feeling like I'd wasted time, feeling like I was deflecting opportunities. It's not who I want to be. So when we, when we start to clean up our behavior around judgment, we clear more space to feel better. We, our body can heal because we're not creating more stress and, and cortisol and, and weakening our immune system. Our relationships can be more aligned and connected and with much more ease. And we actually become more of a, a super attractor for what we want because really the way that we attract into our life, what it is that we desire is by feeling good and being in alignment with good feeling emotions. Judgment is the opposite. Judgment depletes our good feeling emotions. So by healing that relationship to judgment, we actually attract more of what we want. Mm. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, you touched on relationships and I think I think back to my own personal experience, but also just, you know, the 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 men and women that I've worked with in in one-on-one sessions and couple sessions. And it, it's judgment that can be so debilitating and, and crushing in relationships, especially the silent judgments, you know, that sort of like oh, yeah. internal narrative that's going on where they put the toothpaste cap on the wrong way. And you're like, are you kidding me right now? Like, mm-hmm. how dare you? Um, mm-hmm. do, do you think that the judgments are, are there as a means to help reflect back the own, the, like our own personal work that we really need to do? Absolutely. That's a huge part of the book. It's that the judgments that we place on others are a disowned part of our own shadow. Mm-hmm. So, that's why we don't feel good when we're judging. We feel we get temporarily, we get high off of it. And then we feel like crap because ultimately it's reflecting back to us what we don't want to feel about ourselves. And we use judgment to temporarily deflect that feeling, but it ultimately will come back to us. It almost sounds like a, like a power struggle, you know, like we use judgment to position ourselves as better than someone or something else. Yeah, to avoid feeling how we really feel. Mm. Yeah, and you mentioned the you mentioned the shadow there before. Just for the listeners that might not have a context for the shadow, uh, could you unpack that a little bit for for us? Well, I would reference the shadow side of ourselves as the as the parts uh, of our ego belief systems, parts of ourselves that we don't want to face, parts of our uh, experiences from our past that we avoid feeling, the things we drink over, the things we the things we eat over, the things we work over, the things we judge over. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's a great definition. <laughs> so let's let's dive into this. I'll unpack maybe a little bit, uh, if you can just summarize the book. And then I know that you've got some step-by-steps that help really like walk people through uh, overcoming judgment and actually detoxing from it. So before we dive into the step-by-step, if you just give us like a, a just like a brief overview of, of what this book is going to help people do. So it's a six-step process and it's designed to help the reader not necessarily give up judgment altogether. Because listen, I wrote the book, I'm launching it in 
to, you know, right now. And <laughs> I was judging yesterday, admittedly, right? So <laughs> it's not that we stop judging, it's that we no longer believe in it. So even so, because as a result of writing this book, living these practices, in my judgment last week, I felt so disgusted by it that I had to stop it in its tracks, right? So it's that we no longer believe in it. We no longer have tolerance for that mind wandering. And we have practices to find our way out quickly and to forgive ourselves fast so that we can continue to restore about ourselves back into the alignment of feeling good. Mm. And also to heal the triggers and the wounds that live beneath it, because really, why are we judging in the first place is the most important thing. We're judging because we don't want to feel what lives beneath the wound. And so the first step in the judgment detox is to witness your judgment without judgment. And this is the step on taking an inventory, a little audit of your behavior and asking yourself four questions. What or whom am I judging? How does it make me feel? Why do I feel justified in this judgment? And is there an experience from my past that is triggering this judgment now? And so when we start to look more closely at the pattern, we can start to see that it shows up in many different forms, but all for the same reasons. So that's a big one. So really understanding and witnessing the judgment. But that step is very important. That it's witness your judgment without judgment. Because we can't look at our judgment and then judge ourselves for judging. It's just great. It perpetuates the problem. So, uh, and ultimately that is what happens is a judgment cycle, right? It's like we feel judged. So we judge somebody else because we don't want to feel that judgment. And then we judge ourselves for judging somebody else. And then we feel so bad for judging ourselves that we judge Donald Trump or that we, you know, it's like we just do something to just not feel the feelings. And that's where the second step comes in, which is honor the wounds. And so beneath every judgment is a deep rooted wound, the shadow we were speaking about. So for instance, a judgment of people who are academic could be related to a wound of feeling inadequate from, you know, from childhood, right? Or, uh, you know what they are. I think that anyone can, anyone listening knows, okay, I can see very clearly that I'm judgmental towards this person because this emotion from the past. And that's how the first step sets you up to really begin to see that pattern. Mm-hmm. And then in the second step, you honor the wounds. And we honor the wounds through in this in this book through a practice of called emotional freedom technique, which is otherwise known as tapping. And it's a psychological and it's like acupuncture and psychotherapy combined because you're tapping on these different energy meridians and talking about the emotional disturbance. And so while you're tapping and talking, you're healing the root cause, you're healing the energetic disturbance that lives beneath the judgment. And that is a powerful tool that I break down in the book. And it's a practice that I've applied in my own healing. And it allows a reader to have a major transformation quickly. And that's what I wanted the reader to have is to not avoid the wounds, but to face them and to have a tool that they can use to heal them and self-soothe on your own Mm -hmm. with my guidance. Awesome. So that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Like you were talking about the, the judgments that come up for people. And the first one that, that really immediately came to my mind was just from a client the other day. And they were really struggling with judgment around other people that have more money than them because they grew up in like a very poor family. And so there's this yeah. deep seated wound that, you know, when other people have more than them, um, that they're, they're unsafe or they're not enough or they're not worthy. And so there's this huge wounding around, around money. And so it sounds like this, 
this that's another one that like really stood out for me that I, I'm sure that a lot of people have struggled with in some way. A hundred percent. Yes. That's a great example. I think it's a perfect example for people to understand this. Yeah. All right. So once, once we've identified it, once we've, you know, started to, to look at the judgment without judgment, I love that there's a system, by the way, I'm like, my like guy brain is so, so loving the fact that there's like a step-by-step guide that I can follow here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, okay, great. There's like, there's a six steps I can do this. Uh, The ones we've identified it and we've started to honor the, honor the wound. Where do we go from there? The third step is to put love on the altar. So this is a fun step because it's, it's a lot less, it's a lot, it's a lot easier than the others, but it's becoming conscious of the fact that when we're constantly in a story of putting judgment on the altar, putting judgment on the altar and metaphoric altar, meaning that, that every day we put this judgment on this altar that is the life that we experience and what we put on the altar, we experience. So we want to put love on the altar instead. And I, I, I use that language because of the story I tell in the book where I was, uh, going through a really rough judgment towards somebody. Uh, I couldn't let it go. And then I was uh, working really hard. I was writing this book, trying really hard to let go of this judgment. It was terrifying. And I was up really late at night in a hotel room. And I had a speaking engagement the next morning. It was like 2 a.m. and I had three more hours to get up. It was just so stupid. I was still awake. And I started meditating and I, I heard my inner guidance system say, turn on the TV. So I said, okay, whatever. I don't know why I don't watch television, but I turned on the TV and on the television was the televangelist, Joel Osteen. And Joel was just preaching and saying amazing things. And he was like, you know, every day we put fear on the altar. We put judgment on the altar. We put attack on the altar, but we need to start putting love on the altar because, you know, doesn't it feel, doesn't it feel so weakening to be walking around with that negative story? And I'm like screaming at the TV, like, yes, Joel, that feels terrible. You know? And so I, 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 I took that lesson. I was like, I have to put love on the altar. And so this is the chapter of prayer of through prayer, through the power of intention, whatever you choose to call it. We start consciously choosing to see things through the lens of love rather than the lens of fear. And that's a proactive choice. It's, it's a choice to say, because I, when I wrote this book, I really asked myself, who do I want to be? And I want to be, one of the answers I had was, I want to be the kind of person that when I find out that somebody judged me, that my first response is to pray for them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think that for a lot of people who maybe had religion growing up, like I grew up in a very religious family and that sort of shifted away. But now, you know, in the last few years, being a very spiritual being, meditation and prayer is still a very active part of my life. And I think, you know, there was a, there was a time where that definitely wasn't there. And it seems like having this is almost like the, the reframe or like the rewiring of the narrative that's been going on for so long. That is what prayer is. Prayer is a rewiring because it's, it's actually stimulating your brain and really allowing you to release that fight or flight response Mm. and get more into that relaxation response. Because what is it? It's a surrendering. It's an offering up. And it's taking, letting yourself off the hook, taking the fear and the judgment off the altar and putting love on the altar instead. It seems like this is a big piece, almost like the, the almost like the turning point for attraction, you know, like prayer and manifestation and, and being able to actually attract what you want versus, uh, versus what you've been attracting because of what you've been focused on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <clears throat> we attract what we put out. Nice. The more we proactively put out more loving thoughts, that's more of what we will create. Wonderful. All right. Okay. So we got step number four. Now, where do we go from there? Fourth step. So, so we've got three, which is put love on the altar and the 
fourth step is to see for the first time. And this is a gorgeous step on practicing seeing through the lens of compassion, seeing people with the eyes of what is thriving and what's working rather than what the stories are of the past. There's a lot of great stories in this chapter as well of, of, of choosing to see someone for the first time. So one thing that somebody could start doing today to see for the first time is taking that person or circumstance that you've been judging and start to focus on what's, what's good. Focus on the good stuff. So uh, it's a lot easier when it's just your spouse or it's a friend or something. Much more difficult when it's someone who's really harmed you, right? If it's someone who's really attacked you or abused you or done something very difficult. But even in those very difficult circumstances, you can look at the situation and say, well, the good I want to find in this is that I learned something from it Mm. or that I found this practice or that I'm healing an old wound that would never have been healed if it hadn't gotten this far or something along those lines. So really choosing to see for the first time helps us see the person or situation through the lens of the present moment. And in the present, there should only be love. Whereas it's that when we drag the stories of the past into this moment is when we are stuck in the pattern of judgment. Mm, yeah. And it seems like, it, it seems like this is like a perfect section for people to start to tap into almost like the price that they've been paying by carrying around that judgment. Do you touch on that? Oh yeah. All throughout the book, I kind of talk about the cost of what it means to be in judgment and what that creates for you. Mm. You know, it makes us weak. It makes us disconnected. It, it blocks our power. and it keeps us stuck in the past. Mm. How do people, how do you recommend that people start to unpack or start to identify the price that they are paying for carrying around these judgments? And especially, especially in this step where, you know, you've mentioned um, people that may have wronged them or really hurt them in the past in a, in a very direct way. How do they start to get in touch with that, the emotionality and, and the price that they're paying by carrying that around? It's easy. I mean, ask yourself, how do I feel? Right. Hmm. It's like, when you, when you think about a circumstance situation, I mean, I was angry with someone, a friend recently and started talking about it again today with another friend and I started noticing myself like get acid reflux <laughs> from talking about it, you know, like, like fire is coming up, you know? So like physically, how do you feel? Emotionally, how do you feel? What, what it weakens your energy. It triggers the parts of your body that, that can't handle stress. Right. So, uh, yeah. Do you want to feel like that is the real question. Love it. Okay. So we see, we start to see people for the first time. Do you recommend that people like visualize people in a new way? Yeah. There's pretty practices in the book about making a list almost of positive aspects about the person and starting to, or the situation and seeking for those positive aspects to help you get back into alignment with what, what is thriving rather than what has harmed you. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So now we're actually on to the next step on number five, (laughs) since I miscounted. (laughs) Step five. Yeah. So step five is cut the cords. And this is a step uh, with six meditation practices. Every one of my books always includes meditations because it's a big part of what I teach. And I included these six meditations to build upon the next. And I've asked the reader to practice each one for six mornings and reflect on them each day to go through a almost mental cleansing. And what happens when we have a a judgment towards someone is that an energetic cord is attached and that is an invisible cord, but you can feel it. You know, those, you know, those moments when you got like that ex-girlfriend or that friend or that boss that you haven't seen in a year, but you just still feel so hardcore mad about it. And you feel that means there's a cord still attached. And so 
to cut those cords, you can do that through the practice of meditation. You can, in stillness, in silent contemplation, cut the cord of energy. And some of that comes through visualization meditations is actually meditation and they're a cord cutting meditation. Some of it comes through meditations where you send love to that other person and see them, see them within, in this, in the presence of love. Some can come through, through mantra, which I've used in some of the meditations. And the goal of all of these meditations is to cut those cords, clear the slate and, and, and heal the energy between you. Uh, this is a necessary step. And I think that it's nice that it's the fifth step because you've done so much heavy lifting to get to that point that you're really in a place that's really ready to start to cut those cords. So it's an exciting practice and it's very laid out for you. So your man brain will be happy about it. <laughs> yeah. Give me, give me the manual. Um, exactly. so what, what becomes possible out of this, like cutting the cords that you're talking about for, for people that are, um, out there that have been, you know, like really having these judgments towards people, what becomes possible out of this space besides the, healing. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was going to say besides the obvious of just like letting go, but um, are there new possibilities? Resolution. Yeah. yeah. Resolution, uh, new possibilities, resolution in the, in that chapter, I talk about a friend that I had had a real resentment towards and it got really ugly to almost, it was the demise of our friendship ultimately. And the cord was so strong because it's, it's, you know, it's like, you know, when you, it was like, it was a, it was like such an emotional breakup in, in a sense. And, uh, I, in my meditation, just brought my love and attention and sent him so much love and sent him so much light and sent him so much compassion. And the moment that I ended that meditation, I got a text message from him saying, we need to talk, you know, it's time to talk. And while we didn't go back to being friends, we have nothing but love for each other. So that's how this, that's the miracle. The miracle isn't that, oh, now you're best friends again, everything's perfect. The miracle is that the, all that is left is love. Mm. That's awesome. Uh, I love that. All right. So we've cut the cord and now we go to the final step. Well, the final step is to bring your shadows to the light. And this is the step on forgiveness. This step is, is designed perfectly to be at the last step because all the steps leading up to this point have prepared the reader to be willing to forgive. And the beauty of forgiveness, it's not something that you have to do. It's just something you have to be ready for. So well, really all that's required in the practice of forgiveness is your desire and your willingness to forgive. Mm. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Okay, cool. So in terms of like the, the process, it sounds like a, a pretty straightforward process. How long do you see this like usually taking for people? I think that I'd like to see people spend the first six weeks of the year practicing this book or uh, taking six weeks, you know, six weeks, do one, do one step a week. And then once they've gone through that six week process, they can come back and use the steps interchangeably. If you take more time or you do it faster, that's fine. You know, what I like about the way that I teach spiritual principles is that I teach with the intention of freedom. I am not trying to say this is the only way you have to say it in this way. You have to think it in this way. You have to do it for this amount of time. That's not my style. I don't love that style. Mm -hmm. I like the style of being able to say, just be free in your practice. If consistency helps you be consistent, if no rigidity helps you and you just need that freedom and that space, be free. Just do it, do it in a way that's going to inspire you and empower you. And if you feel that inspiration and power, then you're going to continue doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. I mean, it sounds like you've had some some pretty intense personal experiences along the journey with with the 
with the judgment and like seeing how it's shown up along the different steps, which has been pretty incredible. And so, you know, you've, you've worked with quite a few people along the way, and I'm curious to, to get your insight in terms of like, how have you seen this shift impact their life? You know, going from, again, not getting rid of our judgments. There's a, there's a great book called The Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts, which is quite old and it's kind of obscure. But in that, he teaches that insecurities aren't something to be avoided or completely destroyed, but something to be observed and, and to, to be learned from. And it sounds like you're talking about the same thing here in some ways, but about judgment and how judgments can be observed and then learned from. Is that, is that roughly accurate? Yes, absolutely. I mean, my hope is that people will really just become much more conscious of their behavior, see how it makes them feel and use these practices to heal the patterns that they can feel better. And so, yeah, witness it and choose to heal from it. Nice. And I'm curious how this has shown up in your relationship, like you and your husband seem to have a, a pretty incredible life. And I think that a lot of people who follow you and they kind of follow along your journey, they they also kind of like follow along with their relationship. And it's, it's especially interesting because, you know, you, you both work together. And so, you know, how some of these principles shown up in, in your dynamic of being able to maintain a healthy relationship with somebody that you also work with? Because I think there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, I actually know quite a few people in our community that run businesses together between them and their, their wife or them and their husband. And it seems to be this like pretty challenging part of their life. And so I'm curious to get your insight on how you and your husband have actually maintained your dynamic while still running a very successful business? Well, <laughs> I have to say that working with my husband has made me fall in love with him more. Mm. And I don't, I unfortunately don't think that's everybody's story is kind of as you alluded to. Uh, maybe I need to write a book about it with him. But we, this is an area in our partnership that's really thrives. It just, it just thrives. It just works. We need each other. We are really clear on each other's roles and expectations. We are not trying to do each other's jobs and we trust each other. Mm -hmm. And so I got to say it rocks, man. <laughs> it's, it's so, it's such a fabulous blessing. It's such a blessing. And it's brought us a lot closer because when my brother, my husband has worked with me now for three years, three and a half years, uh, prior to that, he was working in private equity and helping me on the side. I mean, he was just, you know, he learned a lot in his, in his career in private equity and, and is so grateful for the relationships and education and, and abundance that has come from that for him. But I think that, uh, that wasn't, you know, it wasn't his true calling. And so he's happier now in this, you know, in this field, he's so proud to be helping people. Our motto, our, uh, mission when we, when we, when we, whenever we do anything is to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. And that's, that's our, that's our intention behind everything we do. So it's just kind of, it slays. I can't, I don't know how to describe it. It's just working. And I think this is definitely something I should write about because whether it's a blog or a book, I don't know, but I think people that do work with their spouses, I think I can help them a lot because we just, we just kind of nailed it. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with that. We're both allowing each other to shine in, in our gifts and just really respecting one another's gifts. Yeah. 
Also, we practice the judgment deeds, but my husband okay. edits all my books. So, um, cause beyond being the CFO of my business and just being extremely bright and, and, and a lawyer and, you know, managing all of sort of the <clears throat> left brain things, he, uh, is also very creative. So he edited, he edits my books as well as my other editor. I've, I've been editor that copy edits and then Zach kind of edits for the content. And so we practice these principles together. And so living these principles and living our spiritual practice together is why it works. I mean, really, that's the answer, you know, working on our marriage, working on our relationship, honoring each other in our shame, witnessing why we judge each other, because it's only because we're afraid of facing our shame and honoring that shame in one another has helped us really create a great relationship and business together. Mm. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, it I sounds think, like I'm bragging about it, and I am. <laughs> no, yeah, you absolutely, absolutely should. And I like, no, I'm, I'm, I was, in, I was genuinely intrigued because the more that I, you know, researched you and been, because yeah, I've been following you along for quite a few years, but researching you and your background in terms of, you know, having you on the podcast is a different matter. And and my partner and I do some work together as well. Like we do these uh, weekend uh, couples. Uh, intense therapy sessions for people. And, and so I was curious to get your take on that because I know a lot of people have struggled with it. And, and I, you know, for what it's worth, for my two cents, I think it is something that you should write about because I think there's a lot of people out there trying to figure out how to do that. Like, especially when, you know, quote unquote, thought leaders or therapists, uh, people that are in our space, coaches come together. It can be extremely powerful, but it can also be extremely challenging. Mm -hmm. And, and I've seen a lot of people, especially coaches get into that space where they start dating and all of a sudden, you know, it just becomes a, a bit of a nightmare. And so I'm curious as to whether or not you two actually created, you know, what you wanted it to look like, like your roles and, and the intentions of, of working together before you entered into that, or was it just sort of like an organic progression that, that evolved? Well, let me be a little honest. Um, it took about eight months for me to let go of the rope <laughs> and actually let him in because you know, you have to understand, I'll give myself a lot of love here. When he first started working with me, I had been running my own business. I'd been in business my, for myself since I was 21. He began working with me when I was 36. Mm. So I never had, you know, I, and, and the business that I was in that I was running on my own completely for over a decade. So I was accustomed to doing everything. And so it, it did take me a good eight months to, let my nervous system catch up with the fact that I could let go and that he could really come in. And he also needed to get comfortable with what his role was. So there was a rough eight months that they, that weren't as bad as they could have been, I, I guess, but it was a little bit of a learning curve. But once we hit that stride, it's been pretty awesome. It's, been, it's really been working. Incredible. Amazing. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Where, uh, where do you recommend that people go to check out more about the book? We'll obviously have the links in the, in the comments below, but where would you like them to go? The best place to go is gabbybernstein.com forward slash new book. And actually, no, sorry, book gift, gabbybernstein.com forward slash book gift. And that is the spot where you can learn about the book. And then if you buy the book, you get a two hour workshop, uh, a manifesting workshop with me that is a gift to, to anyone that re that orders the book. So gabbybernstein.com forward slash book gift. Amazing. And you've got some live uh, book launches coming up in the new year. So people can also check out the calendar there. I believe you've got one in New York City here. 
sold out already. Oh Sorry, man, everybody. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna. I think that Connecticut and New York sold out, but I've got Boston, LA, and San Francisco, Montreal, and Toronto still available. Incredible, incredible. Are you coming to Vancouver? Are you coming to see us in Vancouver? I do every year, but this year I'm not. I'm sorry. Oh, man. So you could come to me in LA or San Francisco <laughs> if you're on the West Coast. <laughs> no problem. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And um, and for all the listeners out there, definitely go and check out the book. We'll have the link uh, in the profile so you can go check that out uh, and learn more about it and pick up your copy and pre-order so you get that course. And uh, until next week, thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget to man it forward. Share this episode with somebody that you know will appreciate it, that you know will enjoy it and learn from it. Uh, and until next week, join me again for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual. This is Connor Beaton signing off.